Shalom Chavra. So I want to share some unbelievably deep ideas with you regarding Elul, but the way that I want to start is with Rabbi Yonah's famous analogy, his famous mashal. And if you've heard it before, there is no such thing as hearing this enough times. And the mashal goes like this. There's a bunch of people who are in jail, and some of them decide they're going to break out. So they decide they're going to dig a hole out, and they're going to escape. So after a couple of days of figuring out how they're going to do it, they finally dig their hole, and they all escape. A couple hours later, the guard comes by and he sees that there's one person who's still in the jail cell. He's sitting there, he just decided he wasn't going to leave. So the guard starts getting all upset. He opens the lock and he goes into the jail cell and he starts beating this last guy who didn't escape. And the guy who didn't escape is thinking, hey, listen, I'm the good guy. I stayed. Why in the world are you beating me up? And the question is, why was he beating him up? What was so bad? If anything, he, he listened to the rules. He didn't escape the jail. But you want to know why the guard got so upset? Because what's the purpose of a jail? The purpose of a jail is to keep you there against your will. The purpose of a jail is you were incarcerated, you did something wrong, and now you are being punished. But what did this man do? He said, no, I actually, I could get out of here. I could escape, like everyone else but I'm not going to. He redefined the jail as something that's not the jail. He decided that he was going to stay there by his own will. And in doing so, the guard, obviously you can say practically the guard was upset that everyone else escaped. He took his anger out on this guy. No, but he's upset that this guy turned the jail into something it's not. And Elul is an opportunity for the extraordinary. It's an opportunity to connect to yourself, to Tshuva is, as the Maral explains, it's returning to your true self, your higher self, your best self. It's an opportunity to connect to Hashem in the deepest way, to become the best versions of ourselves. And if we don't take an advantage of that opportunity, we are redefining El as something it's not. And that's the ultimate corruption, which is taking something that could be true. It could reflect its true purpose, and we are corrupting, we are we are. We, we fail to connect to what it really could and should be. And so now the question becomes, what, what is Elul all about? Because here's the way that I want to pose this to you. How do you think of Elul? When you think of Elul for yourself, what do you think of? So a lot of people actually, they think more of, of Din, judgment. They think of Onesh, a punishment, of fear, of year, And not the higher year of connecting to Hashem in this awe-inspiring way, as the Ramchal explains, but the lower level of Yira, which is more just being scared of being punished. And a lot of people, they also, they don't relate well to Elul because they think of it as a time of self-criticism, of just losing your self-worth and saying, another year and I'm nowhere near where I want to be, nowhere near where I should be. And the question is like this, how many people actually perceive Elul as a time of opportunity, of connecting to their higher selves, of connecting to Hashem, of connecting to the oneness of reality, the oneness of Hashem, of, yes, obviously you want to connect to the themes of Din and Onesh, and all of those are true, but everything's nuanced. It's like other is not fully happy because we don't have the base of Mikdash, and Av is not fully sad because we're heading towards the building of the base of Mikdash, we're heading, heading towards Mashiach, we're heading towards our destination, and the Vilna Gonan and actually many explain that you can never be fully happy in this world because the world is not as it should be, but you can never be fully sad because you're alive, you're connected to Hashem. Everything is nuanced. So Elul is, it's a serious time, but not serious that it, it 
lacks that beautiful, awe-inspiring nature of heading towards purpose and destination. So the question that I have for you is like this. Number one, how are we supposed to tap into Ellen in a deeper way? But number two, what is Ellen all about? What is the theme of Ellen? Because if you think about it, all these things that I mentioned, Din, Onesh, Yira, uh, connecting to Hashem, Malchus, these are Rosh Hashanah concepts. So there is this misconception that El is just the precursor, just a prerequisite. It's just leading towards Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, the Yom Narayim. It's really, El has no independent identity. It is simply part of something else. Is that true? Is El simply just getting us ready for Rosh Hashanah? It doesn't really have its own unique task, its own unique purpose. It's just there as part of something else. And the real, the, the depth of this question is that Zman itself is so powerful. Zman as a concept is a powerful concept. It, you know, Zman comes from the word Hazmana, which means to prepare. It allows things to come into being. Does time exist? The classic philosophical question. So some philosophers will say that time is simply a measurement of movement. Time doesn't exist. There's no such thing as time. But some will say, and the Baal Mechshava will say, that no, time is real. Time is actually not only measuring existence, but allowing existence to come into being. Beratius, the Vilna Gaon quotes Chazal, where he says that Beratius is the creation of time. And time is the creation of the possibility of bringing things into being. So time reflects not only the measure movement, but the possibility of movement, the enabler, the cause of movement. But then the question becomes like this. What's the nature of time? Is all of time the same? So the classic philosophers will say, yes, time is just potential. You can make any use of time you want, but time is just what it, whatever you make of time, that's what time is, just potential. But the Ramchal explains that time actually is circular. There are themes, shefa, there are themes, bracha, there are themes in time. Where Akash Baruch brings in certain shefa, certain bracha, certain potential. And each moment contains its own potential, but each year has that yearly cycle of themes. So Pesach is Zman Chayyurseinu, Shavuah is Zman Ma'antorseinu, Sukkah is Zman Simchaseinu. It's not that Pesach is Zman Chayyurseinu because we celebrate our leaving Mitzrayim. It's that we left Mitzrayim because it's Zman Chayyurseinu. The time is actually instilled with this potential. That's why Rashi explains the Avram ate matzah, Lot ate matzah. Why? Because he says, Rashi explains it was Pesach. Well, what does that mean, Pesach? Yitzis Pesach didn't happen for another couple hundred years. What are they doing? But time is built in with these themes, with these potential, this unique potential. And Avram was tapping into Zman Chirusenu. Now you can see us Mitzrayim, that would happen later, but Zman Chirusenu. The reason why we left Mitzrayim on that night at that time is because of that potential that was already instilled within time. But then we have a problem. Because now time is just a circle. We're just going in circles. Every single year we're tapping into certain themes. So what's going on? But the idea is like this. The idea is that time is actually building spirals. Every single year there are certain themes instilled within the yearly shana, the yearly cycle of, of chagim, of zmanim. But every single year we take it one step further. Meaning we go the same circle, but every year it's one step 
above. So we're at the same point in the circle, but one rung up, and we're creating a spiral. That's why the Ramchal explains that every single year has its unique target. And every single month, every single day has its unique purpose. And if you understand the themes of the months, you can tap into the unique themes of what this month is about, but how we're going to take that theme to the next level. But then the question becomes, what is the theme of Elul? What is the theme of Elul? Because if Zman is so powerful, and if each Zman, each month has its unique theme, what is the theme of Elul? And if you want proof that Elul has a unique theme, we blow shofar in Elul. We'll talk about Elul later, that they're different Hagim. Some have the Minhag to only blow shofar the 25th of Elul. Why? We have to think about why. We don't, we don't hold that. We... Obviously, you know that we blow shofar from Rosh Chodesh El. If we're blowing shofar from Rosh Chodesh El, something's unique about El itself. The whole month has some unique theme. And I want to delve deep into this. I want to delve deep into this by delving deep into the mitzvah shofar. What is the mitzvah shofar really about? Why do we blow shofar? What is the purpose of blowing shofar? Obviously, it's loud. It, you know, On a simple level, we'll talk about how it wakes you up. But there's something so much deeper. And I want to get to the root of the mitzvah shofar. And the real starting question is, why do we blow shofar? Well, what's the purpose? Besides for, obviously it's loud, it makes you, the Rambam will talk about, you know, waking you up, but like on a practical level, like, you know, obviously it's different, it's, it's, it wakes you up, so to speak, but what's, what's the deeper root? What's the deeper purpose? And to take it a step further, what is the actual mitzvah of shofar? If you look at it, the Rambam formulates the Mishnah Torah, the mitzvah is kol shofar. Lishmoa kol shofar. Look up in the Mishnah Torah. It's interesting that he connects, it's in Hilcha Shofar Vesok of Elulav, which is interesting, he connects those three together. But the mitzvah of shofar is kol shofar, the kol. What's kol? Kol means the sound, the sound. That's very unique terminology. It comes up in Chazal in very unique ways, the concept of kol, kolos. What is a kol? Has that, what's the difference between kol and any other sound? What's the depth of kol? But let's take a step further. The Rambam says something fascinating. He says that the principle of mitzvah baba vera doesn't apply to a stolen shofar. He says that if you, because the mitzvah is kol shofar, it's the sound, if you have a stolen shofar, you still are in a kind, you fulfill the mitzvah shofar because the mitzvah is the sound. It's disconnected from the physical vessel, the physical tool of the physical shofar. What's going on here? So f- let me give a little background, just so you understand this. We can spend hours talking about the concept of Mitzvah Baba Veira and Asa de Cholosasei. Let me give you a little background here. Mitzvah Baba Veira is the concept that if you do an Avera and then do a Mitzvah with that same object, the simple understanding is that the Mitzvah doesn't work. So what's the classic example? Lulav HaGazel, steal Lulav, steal Lulav, you can't use it. And the, the Gemara actually talks about it when the first day has to be Lachem, questions Lachem only applied to Esrog or, or Lulav as well, has to be Lachem, meaning it has to be yours. So you can't have a, stool, a stolen one, it doesn't belong to you. What if there's a transfer of ownership? What if there's Yish? What if you actually do own it? Still can't use it because a mitzvah above Avera. It's a mitzvah, shaking Lulav, which came, Havala, Avera, came from Avera. Why, what's the problem? We have a principle, Asay Docholos Asay. Asay Docholos Asay is if you do a positive commandment, a mitzvah, and a negative commandment, 
be'idna at the same time, then it's it, it, it overrides docha, it overrides, and you're able to, so to speak, do the mitzvah. So first of all, how does that work? And what's the difference between that mitzvah of Avera and Asadiyacholosasai? So obviously you have a time difference, but why should that make a difference? What's the time difference? By the Asadiyacholosasai, there's a mitzvah and Avera being done at the very same instant, be'idna. Mitzvah of Avera is you do an Avera first, and then you do a mitzvah later on. Why should one work and one doesn't? So there are different explanations. We'll go through a little bit. Obviously, these are sugyas which you need many, 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 at least a full-length shir on the sugya itself. I'm just going to give you a little bit of the overview, just so we can understand like the problem with the Rambam Shita, that you can use a stolen chauffeur. It doesn't seem to make sense. So, Mitzvah Baba Veira, So why does Asa Deochalosa say work? So... We're not going to go into all the explanations, but simply there are a couple explanations. One is that the Paza Mitzvah knocks it out. So what, what's an example of Asidocholos? I'll say some of the classic examples is you wear tzitzis that has shotness on it. Or you do a bris milah, you're not allowed to cut tzuras off of your body part, but you do a bris for tzuras. You cut off the, there's a tzuras on the, on the orla, you cut that off for the bris milah. So those are Asidocholos, I'll say, and the Mitzvah works. What, why does it work? So you can say that the mitzvah knocks out the Avera. You can say that in the final equation, the Asay is worth more. So let's say, obviously you can't really quantify these things, and you're not supposed to, but let's say the Asay, the mitzvah Asay, the positive commandment is 20 points, and the Los Asay is negative 10 points. At the end of the day, you get a positive 10. So it's 20 minus 10, but you still get something. But the deeper explanation is that why are you doing this positive commandment? And why are you doing this negative commandment? Why are you doing this Avera? Why are you doing this mitzvah? The purpose of the mitzvah and the purpose of the Avera is for the mitzvah. In case of the meal, you want to do the Bershmil, oh, there's, there's Tzeras there, but you don't want to cut off the Tzeras. It's there. You want to do the Bershmil. When you're wearing tzitzis with shalons, you want to wear the tzitzis. Okay, it has shalons, but the purpose is wearing the tzitzis. You can define the act as a mitzvah, the underlying ratzon and desire is to connect with Hashem, and you can basically redefine the entire Misa as a mitzvah. Okay, is it a lower level? That's a, you can debate that, but at the end of the day, as long as it's been the same, the same act. Mitzvah Babavera, you separate the Misa and the Misa Vera and the Misa Mitzvah. So first I stole Lulav, then I did a Mitzvah with the Lulav. First I stole a Shofar, then I did a Mitzvah with the Shofar. So you can't define it as a mitzvah because you didn't have first. So the reason why it doesn't work is either you say that the avira taints the mitzvah later on, so it's a lower level mitzvah, it's still a mitzvah, it's a lower level, or you say that it makes it that you can't do a mitzvah with it, as in it takes away the possibility of fulfilling the mitzvah, so it's only avira and no mitzvah, or you say that they actually knock each other out. Meaning mitzvah of avira it's, it's like plus 10 and minus 10, as in they knock each other out. So either it's like, um, the, the, it's, it's, it's almost like they clash against each other, so to speak. Uh, we're not going to get into the mechanics, we're not going to get into the spheres, we're not going to get into the inner logic. The point is that Mitzvah Baba in most cases, is a problem, and you're not able to do the Mitzvah with the Chayfet, the object, that was used to do an Avera. Interesting, so you have Avera Lashma, where you do an Avera, which is a, a, a Maisa Avera, something which is us or not allowed, but you do that for a positive purpose to get closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, like Esther going to HaKadosh which was potentially Gili Arias. That's why she said Kasher Avati Avati, she's going to be Esther to Mordechai after that. I'm not going to get into all the details, but 
there are cases where Avira Lishma, Lot's daughter, is lots of famous cases of Avira Lishma, and when it's okay, when it's not okay. Now here's the question. The Rambam says that when it comes to shofar, mitzvah hababa avira is not a problem. You can do it. Why? Because it's not about the physical object. It's all about the kol. The kol, the sound of shofar. So first of all, we have to understand, since when does the when you do a mitzvah, obviously you want to, there are different aspects of the mitzvah, but you're still doing it with a physical object. You're saying lulav, maybe the mitzvah isn't the physical lulav, it's to shake it. And, I'm, uh, and the shaking is some ethereal spiritual concept. Like why, when it comes to shofar, can we remove the coal from the physical shofar? That's the, the, the first question. In order to really delve deeper, what I want to do now is I want to understand the thematic depth of shofar. Because there are specific examples in Torah where a shofar is required. We know classically Elul and Rosh Hashanah, but that's not the only cases. Rosh Hashanah actually mentions 10, and he goes through all of them and tries to understand, like, what's the connection? Why do we do it for these specific examples? What I want to do with you is I want to go through some of them, and I want to try to understand why why is shofar connected to these, and what is shofar really about? What is the theme? What is the depth? What is the meaning, inner, inner meaning, inner concept of shofar? Because we blow shofar by El, we blow shofar by Rosh Hashanah. Ma'an Torah, Ra'amas HaKolos, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, blew a shofar. There was a shofar blowing, shofar sound, the kolos, by Ma'an Torah. We had it before going to war. There's a chiv to blow shofar. Um, the Torah tells us that when we when we anoint, when we coronate a melech, including Mashiach, meaning for a melech, any king, and melech Mashiach, you have to anoint them. Not only, obviously, there's there's a whole process, uh, usually there's oil involved, but, and obviously we've talked about Shem and Shemona and the, the idea of the eighth of, of connecting to the transcendent, but there's the idea of shofar. We build shofar there. Well, what does shofar have to do with this? There's many sources that talk about the shofar is going to be blown. Why is the shofar, whenever you have... A concept that appears in many places in Torah thought, many different mitzvahs, many different sugyas, they're always interconnected in some fundamental way. And the question is, what is the fundamental connection between all of these themes, all these topics? And obviously to understand that, we need to understand what shofar is really about. And to take it a step further, Akiyas Yitzchak is perhaps the source of shofar. Chazal talk about how after Avraham did not shecht Yitzchak, he saw Ram, which was created before creation, Kashbahu placed it there specifically for this purpose. And that's the, you know, the, the ram horns are connected to this. And a case Yitzchak is connected. When we blow shofar, we are doing the, the uh, you know, Zechronos, we are calling on the Kashbahu to remember the Akida, and that's through the Zechus of the Akida, we're able to get from the Kisi of Din to the Kisi of Rachamim. And the Ramchal talks about the shofar really gives us that Zechus of overcoming strict Din and getting Rachamim. What is going on here? What What is... The, the concept of a case Yitzchak and what has have to do with shofar, what is shofar really about? Why should shofar affect our our zman din, our ultimate judgment on Rosh Hashanah and Elul? And once again, back to our question, why are we blowing shofar and Elul? Why, why shouldn't we just do it on Rosh Hashanah? So let's start very simply, because I want to build this. I want to build this with you, because... With everything in life and with every Torah idea, every sugya in Shas, every sugya in Torah, there's levels, there's a hierarchy of depth, and the Pshat is always the best place to start, 
and you build layers and layers and you build deeper. So on a very simple level, the shofar wakes us up. On a very simple level, the shofar literally wakes us up. It's a loud sound. Okay, the different types, you know, tekiya, shvarim, shrua. Okay, well, well, you know, we're not going to talk about that tonight. Although we could, that's very deep, because we will talk a little bit about the crying. We'll talk about that in some greater depth. But on a very simple level, we need to get woken up. I mean, you know this, I know this. We are, we've been alive for no matter how old you are. Whether you're five years old, 10 years old, 20 years old, 50 years old, 100 years old, you know that life becomes robotic. We become just zombies. We just start going through the motions and we just get lost within life itself. We are not aware. We are not choosers. We are not becoming. We are not growing. No matter how incredible you are, I guarantee you that you know, that you know that you can be more. But we're tired. We're tired or we are sleepwalking through life. And I don't care how incredible or how much you've grown. If you are by yourself in a room and you really think about it, you realize that you need a little bit of a wake-up call. We all do. We all just need a little bit of that wake-up call to say, you're alive. And there's so much for us to do in this life, in this world. And the chauffeur just wakes us up. And the Rambam says this, says explicitly, that it's meant to to wake you up out of your, your habits and your struggles. You just... He literally talks about this. If you want to look up for yourself, it's in Hilchah Shuvah, Perakim, And he talks about it. Or Yishinim, right? Basically, just wake you up from your slumber. And he literally says that. He, like, you know, just like get you, get you woken up and moving. You know, start to, Shuva is a process and you have to get woken up to go on that journey. So, okay. So we start very simple. That the... the it's meant to get you to be Chozer B'tshuva, to, to really connect back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the question that we're going to talk about is, is what does this really mean? Because the Ramchal also in Derech Hashem, in the fourth chapter, he talks about how the, the shofar he wakes up our inner world. So now we're starting to get deeper. It's not just it wakes you up, it like shocks you, but it, it gets your inner world moving. Somehow awakens your inner self, your inner Yetzer, and it inspires you to Tshuva. So, that sounds beautiful, but we have to understand what this really means. Because I'll give you a great example where, where, where the, you know, I found this was a great example in Das Tunos, in Lama Dalit. So we're not going to talk about how Lama, how Das Tunos is structured, but in Lama Dalit, the, the Ramchal basically uses the Lushen of Tokea. He uses it as the way to drive the idea of Hashem's oneness, to drive it deep into our heart. That, that's his lashon. That's the way he uses the word tokeya. So it goes from the intellect to like deep internal experiential knowledge. So it's the way of getting you to say, like beyond the intellectual stratosphere of what you know you should do, you actually start experiencing and doing it. And, and this is a whole different topic, but we all know the famous idea that you know the, the distance between the head and the heart is about it. You know, it's an infinite journey. But that is, we've actually talked about this in the last year, the concept of das, the concept of making knowledge internal and real, of awaking up your inner self, where we all know what we should and shouldn't do. If you'd be honest with you know what you shouldn't eat, you know what you shouldn't say, you know what you shouldn't watch, you know who you shouldn't hang out with, you know what you shouldn't be doing, you know what you should be doing. 
The reason why we don't live by what we know we should be doing is because intellectual knowledge is not the right type of knowledge. You have to have das. Das is where intellectual knowledge becomes integrated with your very self. It becomes who you are. You become so aware. It's like the same way that you're aware that you're alive. If you were so aware of the truth in that same deep experiential way, you would never ever do anything wrong. It would be impossible. It's like Nefesh talks about Malachim. They could do Averos. They could disagree or disobey, so to speak, the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But it's like walking into a fire. You just wouldn't do it. If you see as clearly as they do what MS and Sheker is, you'd never choose Sheker. You always choose MS. But we, we don't see through that type of spiritual lens. And we basically can ignore intellectual knowledge because we don't experience it with that deep internal experiential knowledge base of Das. Shofar helps us tap into something deeper. And we're going to have to understand what that means because it sounds great. And it's good to start this way. I mean, just intellectually understanding that Shofar allows us to tap into a deeper internal root state of self and consciousness. But what does that mean? And just to put it simply, before we do build it deeper, it's it's important to really understand the importance of breaking habits, of getting out of cycles, cycles of spiritual death, of... You know, if you're doing something, it, we I would say everyone has that one comfort zone where they just have done it for the past, I don't know, year, 10 years, 20 years. It's just the same problem. And it's just a cycle. It's like we can't fathom breaking the cycle. The, chauffeur, the concept of chauffeur is breaking. It's, it's breaking the shackles, breaking the cycle. It's getting you outside of the comfort of your, your habits and allows you to recreate yourself. And that's actually part of the idea of blowing shofar before war. Is blowing shofar before war is waking you up to what? Waking you up to the consciousness that, or the awareness that Hakarish Baruch Hu is going to be the ultimate source of your victory. It's helping you direct yourself towards Hashem. So the idea of shofar is opening up yourself to a higher awareness, to a higher knowledge, to a higher connection with your source. It's it's also, it, it's this concept of tapping into root, tapping into starting point, tapping into origin. So your origin, the origin of everything, the origin of reality, tapping into the root, tapping into Akash Baruch Hu, connecting to Hashem in the deepest, most real, potent way. That's the concept of Shofar, in the deepest, most unqualified form it's about root it's about and we're going to talk about how coal is the, the concept of root voice we're going to have to understand what that means but chauffeur is that root and it's supposed to be a cry a blast which which reaches into your heart and carries you back to your higher self and carries you back to gosh Baruch Hu. it is a tracing back to origin to root, to the birth of reality, to the creation of reality, to the creation of, of yourself, to your ultimate root. And the underlying principle before we develop this is understanding that Akash Baruch Hu is, is our ultimate root, but not just in the sense that Akash Baruch Hu created the world. It's that Akash Baruch Hu is our makom. The, the Midrash says that, Ha'olam lamo kamo hu makomo shal olam. That Kaj Baruch Hu is the makom of the world. Now, a lot of people think that Kaj Baruch Hu created the world. Before Hashem created the world, there was nothing. 
Whereas the Vilna Gon, Ariza, the Ramchal, and obviously many, many, many other Pali will explain. But for Hashem created the world, there was Ain Self. There was only a Kadesh Baruch. Once a Kadesh Baruch created the world, the, the, the Maisa of creation, the act of creating the world, was an act of creating something from not nothing. Really, you can either say everything, but it's not really everything. It's, it's no thing. Ain is no thing. It's that which is beyond thing. That which is a thing is 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 concrete. It's physical. It's finite. It's limited. Hakadosh Baruch Hu, before Hashem created the world, was beyond thing, but then He created a makom, a space within Himself, for us to exist. If you take a cup and you fill it with lead, and you want to pour water into that cup, you can't pour anything into it because it's filled with lead. If you have a cup that has space, you can pour water into it. Kadosh Baruch Hu create a space, a makam within himself for us to exist. We exist within a Kadosh Baruch Hu, which is why we've explained many times that whenever someone feels distant from a Kadosh Baruch Hu, we talk about the concept of makam. Right? Baruch HaMakam Baruch Hu. On the Sirenai, we're not going to get into exactly why we do it then, but a makam yinachim, when someone dies, we say that you might think that the person that died is very distant from Hashem, but he's still within the makam, a Kadosh Baruch Hu. And you think you're distant from that person, from your relative? No. You're just in a different level of reality, but we're all connected to the ultimate makom because we're all within HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's the idea of understanding the concept of sourcing yourself back to the root of reality is understanding that you're already within HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, and it's about going deeper and deeper within yourself to the ultimate root of self and consciousness, to the ultimate root of reality, the ultimate root of existence, which is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And existence exists within HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And as Ramchal and the Rambam will say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not need to create the world. The world was, Hashem willed the world into existence, and Nefesh HaChaim explains that creation is constant. So it's not Hashem created the world one time in history. Hashem constantly creates the world. And we exist within, we exist within HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What does Shofar do? Shofar, helps us get back to our root. Shofar traces us back to our ultimate malcolm, to our ultimate root, to our ultimate self. And the shoresh of Shofar actually has the same root, the same shoresh as many other very interesting words. So for example, lishaper, which means to go back to the root and repair or improve, or shapir, which means spiritually beautiful, right? something that's like at root, perfect and beautiful. Or meshafir, which is amniotic fluid. It's the liquid and membrane for the fetus. It's what's meshafir? It's when you were in the womb, when you were at your root. It's like the birth process, the creation process of a person. And if you want to think about it like this, meshafir, what, what is water? What is water? Because this is very deep. This actually gets into something powerful. Water as the Maharal explains, is formless. It takes on the form of its container. Something that has form always stems from water. So the concept of water is breakdown into formlessness and then the creation of form, which is why every creation process always stems from water. When Akash Baruch created the world, the dry land emerged from the water. When Kadosh Baruch Hu recreated the world by the Mabel, Kadosh Baruch Hu first immersed the world back in water, back into a formal state, and then the dry land once again emerged from the water. Later on, when Kadosh Baruch Hu 
took the creative component of reality, the creative stage of reality to the next level by creating Klai Yisrael. He did it through Kriyas Yamsuf. And Maharal explains that Klai Yisrael went into the Yamsuf, was emerged in the water, so to speak, and then re-emerged, reborn, recreated, the, with new form as Klai Yisrael, as a nation. They entered as individuals and they emerged, reborn as a single nation. And there's many, many other examples, but the most important for right now is you. You and I, when we were in the womb, we were in this formless, perfect state. We were emerged within, or immersed within, the main Shafir. We, at our root, at our birth stage, at our root stage, Shafir, Shofar, at our root. And the Gemara needed that, and the Gemara and needed that flamen of which we've explained many times. Explains that when you were in the womb, you were in a perfect state. You were learning Kolachara Kula. And the villain explains that it wasn't just, you know, Chumash and Rashi. You were learning Kolachara Kula in the deepest sense, cosmic Torah. You understood all of reality, the purpose of all of reality, and your unique purpose. And you came into this world, the Mal hits you on the mouth, and you forget all of it, so that you can come into this world and build it yourself. But Meshaf here, we're tapping into the concept of root. When you were in the womb, you were perfect. And the concept of Teshuva is going back to that root of achieving your perfection, the perfection that you had as a gift when you were in, when you were in the womb. And the shofar is what helps you trace back to that root. And that's why the whole concept of mikvah, mikvah is so powerful. Mikvah is we go into water, and what's the purpose of mikvah? It's a recreation of self. You go into the mikvah and you are reborn. When you go into the water, you're formless. You're going back to that fetal state, that state of perfection. You come back into this world purified and reborn because water i mean obviously a mayamel torah torah is also that purifying entity which is the mechanism of helping us go back to our root torah is the root it's the direction it's the revelation of the rest of the rest of which helps us achieve teshuva but the concept of mikvah is this concept of recreating so that's why the world's went through a mikvah process, the, the dry land emerged from the water by, by the creation story and by the mabel and by Kriyas Yamsuf. But we also have the mikvah for someone who converts to Judaism, is reborn, right? Ger, uh, is like a newborn person. And when a person goes to the mikvah, they're, they're reborn. When we are in our womb, it's that same concept of the mikvah. And that's the idea. There's always this connection between mikvah and 40. Right, mikvah has to be 40 sa. And the mabel the, uh, lasted 40 days. Right? And until 40 days, the fetus is maya ba'ama. And in addition to all that, we were in the midbar for 40 years. There's a formation of Klai Yisrael. And uh, there's so many. For example, uh, Bina, or Chachma. It's, it's, you know, we're not going to get into the difference between Bina and Chachma. But the Mishnah Avo says that to get... Wisdom, it takes 40 years. When you're 40 years old, you get wisdom. Why? Because what's wisdom? Wisdom is creating form out of all the different ideas. If you are someone who just knows hundreds and hundreds of facts, you're not a wise person. You don't understand principles. You don't understand ideas. You don't understand the form, the, the, the very essential root form concepts. But someone who's, who's about Chachma understands the essence of the ideas themselves. And this is the idea of the number 40, which is such a powerful number. There are many other examples of 40. We're not going to get into all of them. I can give a whole share on that. But the shofar is meant to bring us back to our fetal state. It's meant to, to help us source ourselves back. And that's why what? The, so here's the chiddush I have. 
chiddush that I have is one. How many days do we blow shofar? It's amazing. It's unbelievable. How many days? Forty days. Rosh El till Yom Kippur, right? Because think about it. it's not forty consecutive days because it's through Elul, then Rosh Hashanah, and then you stop for Rosh Hashanah and then you do Yom Kippur. But it's from Elul till Yom Kippur is forty days. How unbelievable is that? Forty. Meishafir shofar. Unbelievable. So the idea is that the shofar is helping us connect back to our root. Helping us connect back to our perfect selves. Helping us connect back to Akash Baruch Hu. It is literally the mechanism of waking us up and helping us trace ourselves back to our root. And it's so important to realize, by the way, and I've seen this so many times, people give up. They, they just say, it's too late for me. You know, I, I can't improve. Maybe I can improve on this, but not that. Like that, I've just, you know, that's off limits. I've, I've been messing up on that for my whole life. And the Rambam says explicitly and he draws inspiration from the Gemara of Zardaf, that talks about Revelezer ben, uh, ben Dardaya, that, that it's never too late. It is never too late to become the best version of yourself, to Yeshiva. That Gemara talks about this individual who was the worst of the worst, was, you know, he had an intimate relationship with just about every person he can find, except for this one person. And he went to that one person, and she refused to have uh, relations with him, and basically said, you know, there's no hope for you. And he went to, you know, all the different, you know, let's just call them forces of nature, and asked for them to have to for him to tshuva, and to, to accept him back, and they said, no, we're not. And he realized, it's up to me. No one can do it except for me. And he he, he did the impossible, and he died on the spot, and he became known as, as Rebbe, as a teacher. And he, he taught us what? He taught us that it is never too late to, to become amazing, to become extraordinary, to achieve the impossible. In a single instant, you can you know, achieve the immeasurable, unbelievable achievements that you never thought were even possible and that's the power of tshuva and it's also realizing that and this is something which i think is really powerful if you look at that gemara very carefully he does something very interesting he goes into the fetal position look at that gemara he goes into the fetal position and the Gemara, I, I, the rambam basically is inspired by this he, he, he says that russia can always do tshuva until the day he dies and what's this idea of going to the field position? Why is he going to the field position? Because the process of pure, true tshuva that this person did was going back to his field state. It was going back to his root. It was going back to who he was. That is teshuva. And that is what shofar is about. Shofar is about getting back to our root. And I'll give you another beautiful example, shifra. Shifra and pua. You know, the, the, the famous, famous Yocheven and Miriam, who are the midwives who saved the Jewish children in Mitzrayim, so Shifra, what's that name? What do you what do you hear? Shofar. What did Shifra do? Unbelievable. Shifra took fetuses out of the womb. So first of all, that's taking a fetus out of its source, right? That's the concept of source, may Shafir, Shofar, fetuses out of the womb. She also helped the Jewish woman, and really the Jewish people. She helped them connect and source back to Gosh Baruch, right? Because of them. They were able to uh, you know, have hope and life for the Jews. They, they were being destroyed by power in the Mitzrayim, the Egyptians. And because of Shifra, because of Shifra and Pua, 
there was still hope. They were able to really maintain their moon and connect to Kaj Baruch Hu and connect back to their roots. But what's the most unbelievable chiddush here? The tour asked the question, right? They saved the baby's lives. We know how they saved the baby's lives. So unbelievable. What, what does the tour say? The tour says that, and this is like a classic, a classic shita, is that she blew breath into their nostrils, right? When the it's not only that they didn't kill the babies, it's that they actually actively gave them life. And when the fetuses were born, and the children were born, they resuscitated them and they blew life through their nostrils, which is like Kajbarcha blew life into the, the nostrils of manna. They blew life into the nostrils of these babies. And what, what are we seeing here? Number one, we're seeing breath, right? Coal, coal, we'll talk about this. It's, it's giving that source, that, that deep root of a voice. But what else do you see here? She literally blew into her nostrils, blowing, shofar, you blow a shofar. What else? So the tour says, it's a, what, it, where does shifra come from? Shifra comes from the source of shifoferis, which means a reed, because she would take a reed and she would blow into their nostrils. We, literally, when it comes to Shifra, she became a chauffeur. She, she blew, you know, life into these children. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Shofar is about connecting back to our root, connecting back to our, our makor, our makom, our source. But it's something more as well. It's a cry. We need to understand a couple things. Number one, what is this concept of kol, like this voice, this, this spiritual concept of kol, but also it's this cry. It's a cry, it's a wail. And we actually learn it from a very interesting source, the, the amount of, of, of shofar blows for Rosh Hashanah, but we're not gonna get to that right now. But the idea of, of crying is something very interesting, because what does crying do? Crying, tears, without getting into all of the details, all the complexities, crying is all about the cessation of process, the cessation of movement, and just existing at root level. So for example, when do you cry? You cry when you lose track of the process itself. So for example, you thought you were going to live for 50 years and you find out that you only have a couple days left to live, you cry, because the path is gone. When else do you cry? When there's happy news, you thought you were going to have a couple days left to live, and then the doctor says, oh my gosh, good news. You're going to live for another 50 years. You're cured. You start crying because you thought the path was one thing, and the path was something else. What's that concept? That concept of confusion, of, of Baki, also uh, like, you know, more Nevuchim, someone who's confused. Crying is, is connected to confusion. It's connected to when the path is distorted, when the path is lost. Because what is the depth of crying? Crying is when there is no more process. There is no more direction. You are at a state of being, at a state of root. And part of it is tohu, part of it is confusion and chaos. But another part of it is just this longing and being at a place beyond process, which is the root, right? When you're at the root stage, when you're at the stage of connecting to Gosh Baruch on the transcendent level, there's no more process, there's no more time, there's no more being or becoming. You're just with the root. When we cry, we yearn, we yearn to, for a moment, stop the journey and just connect back to our root. 
no, no I'm not going to, you know, work on this. I'm not going to work on it. I just want to be with HaKadosh Baruch I just want to connect to my root. I just want to connect to my source. And it's almost, you're pausing the process of, of the journey of life and you're longing simply to just shoot back to the root. Like the ultimate teshuva. Like that leap of teshuva. And that's really what the ultimate Rosh Hashanah concept is, is that we, we are going back to our ultimate root beyond space and time, beyond process, and we'll see a little more when we talk about Akiyas Yitzchak, but this concept of going to the absolute root, and this is the idea of Kol. Kol, Kol Shofar. Kol is this concept of a unique sound. What's the uniqueness of Kol? Now listen very carefully, because this is powerful. Kol is a sound that is beyond words. It is a root sound. It is a sound that connects the absolute root essence of reality itself. And we need to understand what this means. The best way to understand it is like this. The Rambam says that the mitzvah of shofar is lishma kol shofar. Kol shofar. What is kol? Let's think of it like this. Number one, Akash Baruch spoke the world into existence. What does that mean? There are five processes, five steps, I should say, of creation. There's will, then there's the thought, then there's the process of taking that thought and bringing it into reality. You break down the thought, you intellectualize the thought, you understand the thought, you understand its applications. Then you speak it into existence, which represents the process of taking that which is ethereal, the, the concept, and bringing it into the into the world, and then the actual spoken end result is the d is the davar, it's the word, it's the it's dibur, it's the, the actual expression of speech, or it's the ma'isa, it's the action, right? Which is also why the Rambam says that it's not enough to have hirurei truva to think about truva, you have to speak. You have to do vidoy bedibri, you have to speak it because it's not enough to have the thought, you have to express it into reality. The concept of expressed reality. Kaj Baruch spoke, Kaj Baruch took the spiritual and expressed it into the physical. That's why we talk about creation as Vayomer. Right? Kaj Baruch spoke the world into existence. Now, here's the question. How are we supposed to relate to speech? Speech is the process of taking the ethereal, taking the infinite, and bringing it to the finite. When you speak, you take the ideas in your head and you express it into the physical world. Now, the words are not the thoughts themselves, but they are an expression of them. Now, the deepest root of sound is breath, right? You take a deep breath, and through that deep breath, you now have the energy or the ability, the potential, to use that breath to express words. So you take a deep breath, and now you start to speak. Nishima is the Hebrew word for breath. Nishama is yourself, your soul. You take a nishima, you take a breath, and that is the, your, your ability. Think about this. It's your ability to now express your soul, express yourself, express your inner world out into the world for other people to see and experience. Nishima is what enables you to express Nishama. The deepest root of manifest sound, the root of sound, before there's any words, before there's anything concrete, before it becomes something actual, the root of sound, the root of expressing the self into the world is kol. Kol is the sound beyond sound. It is the sound beyond words, for sure, and it's also the sound beyond sound because it's the root of sound. It's the root of sound. 
It's the wordless voice. It's the wordless cry. It, it's the process of sound moving towards words. Words are expressed, they're limited, they're finite. When you say anything in speech, you're always limited because you can say, you know, for example, you say, I love pizza. And you say, I love, I love you to your wife, to your husband. It's like, that's just a word. You use the same word to describe pizza as you describe the relationship with your spouse. How's that possible? It's because words are always limited. They're a limited expression of your internal awareness, your internal experience, your internal thoughts. The goal is getting back to the root of where those words came from, the inner consciousness that created those words. That's why a word, davar, mila, and teva, the three words for word in Hebrew, right? You take your thought, you take your inner world, and you, mila, you cut it up into just a finite little thing. You put it into a teva, you put it into a box, and you get a davar, you get a limited thing. That's a word. But the goal is to take the words and to trace them back to the root. To truly communicate, to truly understand anyone, you need to learn how to use the words but get past the words. And not think about what you use those words for, but think about what that person is actually trying to say. That's the key. Get back to their cold. Get back to their wordless essence. Get back to beyond words. why there's a deep idea we're not going to talk about now, but understanding the power of silence. Understanding the power of living in a realm beyond words. Where... You're at a root stage. That's why the Maharal explains Moshe Rabbeinu had trouble speaking because he lived in the world of Emes. And it was so beyond speech. And only once HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the miracle of expressing Torah into finite words, the Yavdvarim Vaidaber Moshe, that Moshe now was able to speak without a problem. The paradox of being in the realm of the infinite, the realm of silence, the realm of truth, that which is beyond words, and yet somehow paradoxically and supernaturally being able to then manifest that infinite into the finite. For the finite to actually, truly, and loyally manifest and reflect the infinite. That is extraordinary. That is extraordinary. And coal, coal is this, this, this root, this voice beyond words. And a coal, a coal can carry the infinite depth of the idea. A coal, before it becomes expressed in Davar and Dibor, coal can still express the infinite. Because it retains the fullness of the idea without confining it into any specific words. Think about that. It contains the person himself or herself. It, is, it hasn't yet been limited and concretized into words, and therefore coal still is the essence. It still is the root. It still is the makor. It still is the concept of shofar, that root before expressed, that perfect stage before expressed into the limited, where the limited is the means to then reaccess the infinite, reaccess the root. It's not a corruption of the root, it doesn't have to be. And that's why, for example, the Torah refers to prophecy as coal. When Hashem, Hashem tells Avraham to listen to the coal of Sarah, and Rashi explains that that's referring to the prophecy of Sarah, that she has a higher level of prophecy she knows best, right? It's, it's the coal of Hashem is, is, ref, is, is representing the concept of, of that perfect root beyond words, that, that source concept and what we need to realize though as as we as we go further is that the concept of coal exists within the realm of garon the throat right we have the, the there's always different mashalim different analogies for relaying ideas into our thought one of the ideas is the connection between the head and the body 
The head represents the ethereal, the conceptual, the realm of ideas, the realm of thought, the realm of Torah, and the body represents the realm of physical, the realm of Misa, the realm of mitzvah, and the neck represents the connection between the two. That's why the Beis HaMikdash is referred to as the neck. But the Garon is also, which is the throat, it's the origin of voice, and it's the point of—it's the point of connection between the infinite and the finite, the physical and the spiritual, the ethereal and the corporeal, and that's why the throat is where prophecy, where, where nevuah takes place. It is it is the point of connection between the spiritual and the physical. That's why, for example, Moshe is Moshe's nevuah. Hashem spoke mitoch grono shel Moshe. Right? Hashem spoke through the throat of Moshe. And that's why also Hashem tells the Navi to cry out bigaron, right? Um, in Yeshayahu, in Perkinuchas, Pasuk Aleph, it says, cry out bigaron, right? Cry out bigaron in the place of coal, the place of your throat. I mean, raise your coal like a shofar. It's, it's the concept of prophecy. The concept of prophecy is connecting a Baruch Hu's will into the physical world, is the concept of connecting the infinite to the finite, connecting the head to the body, is the place of the garon, is the place of the throat. And that's what the shofar is. The shofar is a cry beyond words. It's a cry, it's a wail beyond words. It comes straight from the self, straight from the neshama, and it's the rutzon to connect to Akash Baruch in the deepest way. True teshuva, to return to our root, to, to want that, to, to genuinely want that. When you listen to the shofar, you want to tap into that rutzon. You want to you want, you know, tap into that deep desire to, to just connect to Akash Baruch and. And when you can tap into that root desire, there's nothing, there are no words to express it, there are no words to explain it. And it's something which really can't be expressed in words because it's something that you just want so badly there's no way to articulate it. It's your deepest roots, it's your deepest roots, and it's who you are, it's what drives everything. You want to fulfill your purpose, to become who you're supposed to be, and to connect to your source in the deepest way possible. And that's why the Rambam actually describes tshuva and it's to constantly cry out to Kosh Baruch. You love yourself. And the Rambam Hilchos Shuvah Perik Beis Halacha Dali talks about just crying out to Kosh Baruch, but not, not like, like crying out to Nebuch. It's like crying out like this deep yearning, like genuinely wanting to be with Kosh Baruch Hu, to to sit in the Ohel Torah, to sit in Kosh Baruch Hu's Makom, to sit within the real Makom, to feel connected to Hashem, to really want that. That's the beauty. That's the beauty of Shofar. And it really, it awakens the root of our self. It awakens the root of our neshama. It's the coal that reaches into our heart and awakens us and carries us all the way back. And think about that. Think about how to tap into that. And now we're going to start going through some of the applications. Harsinai. Harsinai was the kolos from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu was the root of those kolos. Roy Masakolos, we saw kolos. What, is this, what does that mean? So what was the Harsinai experience? Number one, Harsinai was an experience of going back to our root selves. We experienced the Torah, we experienced the revelation of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's will, and we went back to our root. We went back, the, the, the way the Chazal put it, is we went back to before the Zuhuma, before the poison of the Nachash, when Adam sinned, the Yitzhahara, the Nachash, actually became part of him. And that's why he became physical. The Ramban explains that he became mortal, but he wasn't going to die before that. He became limited, became physical. The curse, now he has to work for a living, he has to get pronounced. All of these things, the Zuma, the Nachash, the, the, the venom of the snake, 
we needed to also before the the hate we didn't need to go to the bathroom we didn't we just the, it was our bodies digested the food and there was no excrement there was no waste what happened by Ma'antor, we went back to that stage with the, the man there's no excrement by the man we were back in that perfect angelic state and it was also i mean think about it we live in a world where everything is filtered you have good and bad right that's the concept of das which happened when adam ate from the das as Dassler explains the concept of not having to have excrement means that there's no longer filtration like everything is is tov everything is perfect and that was the state we re-entered it's also it's this realm of, of perfection. The, the way that the Torah refers to it is Roman Mesokolos, we saw the Kolos. You don't see Kolos, you, you, you see things. You hear Kolos. Why do we see it? So the beautiful idea here is that sound represents movement. Seeing is static. We, we saw sounds because this world, Olam is the realm of becoming, of process. Olam Haba is where we experience who we are, who we became, the consciousness, the self, the mind, the internal being that we created during life. It's a state of being. It's an element of becoming as well, but the emphasis on being. We saw sounds because we entered into the realm of being, where process sounds became seen, as in static, as in we were experienced the ultimate root, Olam Haba, in a state of static experiential connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And it was a realm, it was a state that was absolutely unbelievable. Obviously, it was because of the oneness of Klaishal that we had achieved, you know, the, the beauty of, of the Achtos that was created by Mount Torah of Klaishal coming together as one, becoming one nation, and that resulted in the process of, of Mount Torah when Klaishal became one. We're able to fully connect to each other, ourselves, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that was the Ma'antor experience. But in a deep way, there's something beautiful here. The Ramchal explains in Maimar HaChachma, he says that that experience of Ma'antor was going back to the root before the creation of evil. Because at Harsinai, the Kolos, the Ramchal says, it was able to strengthen good over evil. Right? Meaning going, transcending evil. What, what does that mean? And this is based on the Ramchaos and Das Tfinos, which is that evil is a creation. It's something which is manifest in this world, but at root, that there is no evil at root. And one day we'll realize how everything that was manifest in the world is just revealing the ultimate good. There really is no evil. But by Mount and Torah, we went back to the root. And at the root, there is only good. So the Kolos, which helped us go back to the root, revealed that there was only good. And the good basically overcame, so to speak, evil. It takes us back to a realm beyond evil. And that's the concept of strengthening the concept of good, strengthening the forces of Tov. Deep ideas, if that went over your head, that's okay. That's okay. But Shofar represents that concept of root, the concept of tracing back to source, that concept of birth, of, of beginning, of, of root concept. And that's also the concept of, that's why Tchiyas HaMesim we blow Shofar. Why? Because Tchiyas HaMesim is a rebirth. Right? What, what's a, a grave? A grave is a kever. Kever doesn't only mean grave, it means a womb. Why? Because you're going to be reborn from your kever. That's actually why people want to be buried near Israel, because you're going to obviously, uh, you know, everyone's going to travel towards Israel. The Maral talks about how Bar Samach Pela is, is the source of Tchiyas Amisim in Israel. It's a whole idea we're not going to go into right now, but it's the concept of Kful, that there's two levels, and that 
you know, basically it's representing the connection between the physical and spiritual, this world and the next world, and that we're going to come from Olam HaNashomas into, back into this world through Tchiyas HaMesim. But the concept of Tchiyas HaMesim is a rebirth. It's a rebirth of reality, a rebirth of ourselves. It's not just us coming back and you know, having fun. It's, it's, we need a whole share on this, but it's coming into this world at a higher level, both of ourselves and the whole world will be at a higher level, a higher state, different stages of Tchiyas HaMesim. But in essence, it's almost like a Rosh Hashanah. It is a rebirth. On Rosh Hashanah, we are reborn. We're reborn. It's root. It's you know a birth process. It's tshuva, in a sense. And we blow shofar. So you're seeing so many beautiful examples here. And before we go into Akedas Yitzchak, I want to just briefly talk about the concept, the concept of blowing shofar and overcoming din. Part of the concept of blowing shofar, especially when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, is for Malchios, when we recognize HaKadosh Baruch Hu as our Melech, as, as, as our as our Makur, as our source, as our, the, the, the one who is, so to speak, governing all of reality and bringing all of us to our ultimate purpose. The Ramchal explains something powerfully. He says in Derech Hashem, in the fourth chapter, that shofar overrides din. And when we blow shofar, we are allowing Kosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, to move from the Kisei of Din to the Kisei of Rachamim. What, what, what does that mean? So we obviously can give a whole shir on the concept of Din and Rachamim. Kosh Baruch Hu, Olub Machshava, Hashem originally wanted to create the world with strict Din, and then he ultimately created the world with Rachamim. What does that mean? What's the purpose of Rachamim? Why can't Hashem create the world with strict Din? But Simply put, for the concept of blowing the shofar, it, it moves HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, from the Kisi of Din to Rachamim, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu now does not give us exactly what we deserve, but allows us to have an element of mercy in our judgment. What does that mean? So, this concept comes up in Chazal many, many times. It seems to be, you can understand it as just a gift. It's, it's not logical. It's just you did something wrong. You deserve to be punished. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives you a gift. But the Ramchal says something unbelievably amazing. He says like this. Hashem created the world with dead. You get what you deserve. But why does he do that? He does that. And that's part of the answer why he added Rachamim. He does that because we are in this world to earn our perfection. If he gave it as a gift, it wouldn't be appreciated. We've given many shirim on why that would be. I mean, why can't Kosh Baruch Hu just create us that we enjoy free gifts? But Kosh Baruch Hu created us that we need to earn our perfection. Now, in order to earn our perfection, we need to, it needs to be din, as to be honest. So Kosh Baruch Hu also gives us onesh, consequences for our actions. Everything is din, everything is emes. But what happens when we recognize that Hashem created din? What, what happens when we recognize Hashem as beyond and not limited by Din, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu can move from Din to Rachamim. Meaning, this is a classic debate, a philosophical debate, is Hashem limited? Is Hashem limited by logic? So, classic, classic philosophy will say that Hashem can't create a, a circular triangle, Hashem can't defy physics, Hashem can't defy mathematics at least, because those are absolute truths. And this idea here is basically saying that Hashem created, and we're not gonna we can get into a very deep discussion about the root nature of everything in this world, whether this world is the world, a world, whether there could be a world where mathematics is different, whether there could be a world where logic is different, whether all of these different fascinating questions. But the idea is that since Hashem is absolute oneness and he created the rules of this world, he created the rules of din. 
He's not subject to them. He can override them. Once we recognize, when we blow Shofar, we're recognizing Hashem as the source of reality, the source of, the, of Din, the source of everything that helps us overcome Din because we say, you created Din, you're not bound to Din, you can actually do Rachamim. And when we do that, Kadosh Baruch Hu gives Rachamim, Rav Chaim Friedlander actually applies this also to the Yugimil, I mean, it's Rachamim of Kadosh Baruch Hu, we're not going to get into that right now. But the idea here is that Shufar represents kol, represents roots, represents that, that root ratzon and keser, that root beyond in, that ultimate root of reality. And when we blow shofar, we're able to tap into that ultimate root. And that's also why we blow shofar when we anoint a melech. When we anoint a melech or a mashiach, why? Because what is a melech? First of all, when we anoint a melech, it's a birth stage, right? It's a new stage of the nation, it's like a birth. So that's one aspect of shofar. Number two, a melech's role is to inspire Klai Yisrael to accept the real Melech, which is HaKadosh Baruch It's like, what's the purpose of a leader? A leader can be selfish. The whole reason that he's a leader is because he wants power, he wants significance, he wants to be important. Or a leader can just reflect the will of the people and just represent the people. Or a leader can represent Hashem, a higher will, a higher Ratzon, a higher Melech, and lead the people towards a higher purpose, towards something that might be difficult, but it's an aspiring leadership that inspires the followers, so to speak, to become leaders in their own lives and achieve the extraordinary and devote their lives towards a higher purpose, a higher Melech HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So Rosh Hashanah is also connected to this concept of anointing a Melech. Why? Because on Rosh Hashanah, we anoint HaKadosh Baruch Hu as our Melech. So it's this concept of Malchus, a concept of connecting to our ultimate root, our ultimate source, our ultimate Melech, which is why we blow show for whenever we anoint a Melech. It's always tapping into that same concept. And that's also the same thing for Melech Mashiach, for anointing Mashiach. The, the Pesukim talk about this. The Pasuk says, right? The shofar is going to be blown to announce the ultimate the ultimate freedom. And the Gemara Baruch says that if you see a shofar in your dream, then you can expect uh, Gula, you can expect redemption. And the, the Maral talks about this in depth. He says that a shofar is always linked to Mashiach. It's always linked to some form of future redemption. Why? Because number one, once again, Mashiach represents the birth of a new stage. It's, it's the, the starting process, the root of a new stage of reality. Number two, the, the, the concept of Mashiach is a stage of reality where we'll have a heightened awareness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We'll be able to trace ourselves back to Hashem, to our root, in a much more potent and easier way. The world will reflect its root in a much more manifest way. And number three, it's also connects to Rosh Hashanah, because this is the, the, the awareness we're trying to reach on Rosh Hashanah, and really through blowing shofar, is very much connected to this concept of Zman Mashiach, where we see HaKadosh Baruch Hu manifests in reality in a very clear, potent, real way. And this leads us to our next topic. And I know we've been developing a lot. I know we're getting deep. And I know there's a lot to, to think about here. But that is that is the very essence of the topic. We are going deep. We are going very deep. And the next stage is Zichronos. Zichronos, the concept, and obviously I'm tapping into a lot of themes of Rosh Hashanah. The concept of Akedas Yitzchak as the source of shofar. So, the question is, where do we learn? You know, where do we learn out the source that you have to blow from a ram's horn? So we learn it from the Akedah. Akedas Yitzchak afterwards, the the ram that Avraham shechted when he didn't bring Yitzchak as the, as the carbon. 
So Chazal talk about how the Akedah took place in Rosh Hashanah, and there's uh, so many connections between the Akedah and Rosh Hashanah, but the Gemara Rosh Hashanah actually says, and Daf Tazayin and Aleph, that in the Zuchus of the Akedah, we can evoke the Zuchira of the Akedah, the, 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 the memory, the remembrance of the Akedah, and Zuchus of the Akedah, the Avraham not shechting Yitzchak in the end, but willing to shech Yitzchak, then shechting the Ram, Hashem will, so to speak, move from the Kisei of Din and, and judge us Berachadim. Why? What, what's so special about the Akedah? There are so many aspects of Jewish history that are so powerful. Why is the Akedah connected to Shofar? There are two aspects. Number one, number one is Yitzchak's side, number two is Avraham's side. From Yitzchak's side, I want you to think about what it takes to give up your life, to be most nefesh. We live in a generation where it's hard to fathom. The generations before us, they would give up their lives like Hashem, like in a heartbeat. But I want you to think about what it means to be most nefesh. Because first of all, just so you understand the manifest result, Arizal explains that Yitzchak also spells Ketz Chai. The letters of Yitzchak spell Ketz Chai, which means someone who's Ketz towards the ultimate destination in the infinite realm of reality, while also being in this world, Chai will also be living in this world. He's living in two realms, two dimensions. And the Gemara also mentions how Avram actually did shecht Yitzchak, and he is this, the first example of Tchiyas Mason, where Akash Baruch Hu brought Yitzchak back into this world. And that's why the second bracha of Shemrasa, which is Kenegad Yitzchak, is about Tchiyas Mason. Yitzchak is the first example of Tchiyas Mason represents what? So what's Chiyas What's Yitzchak? What's the Akida? What's the willingness to be Moser Nefesh? Think about this. If we live in a physical world and we don't believe in Hashem, we don't believe in a spiritual reality, we don't believe that we will live after we die, there is no logical explanation to ever give up your life. Because that's the end of you. You cease to exist. You would do anything at all possible to continue living unless you believe life is absolutely meaningless and complete pain and misery, in which case the ultimate ideal would be to commit suicide, which was actually a theory, a classic philosophical theory that is, I mean, it makes sense on its own terms, but when you live from a perspective of meaning and purpose, it is absolutely absurd. But you have to understand the inner philosophy is that if life is absolutely meaningless and painful, you give up your life. The other explanation, which is Yitzchak's side, is what? If I believe in Hashem, I believe I am connected to a reality beyond this physical world. I believe I'm connected to my ultimate source, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then dying Al-Kiddush Hashem is not dying because there's no such thing as death. I will never cease to exist because I am not a physical being. I am an internal spiritual being. I am a consciousness that is residing within. I'm a root higher self, higher consciousness that is residing within a physical body and I am eternal. I am immortal. I will never die. When Yitzchak was Moser Nefesh, he was committing to his belief in his own eternal connection to Akash Baruch Hu, that he was connected to an ultimate root. Shofar, Shafir, connected to something higher, to connected to a higher root. And the result is that Yitzchak created that ultimate concept of being connected to something higher. Isn't he realized it? But he also is the paradigm of connecting to Hashem on the highest level in that sense. That's Ketz Chai. That's Tchiyas That's 
like the highest level of connection with the Kaddish Baruch Being willing to be Moshe Nefesh means that you believe in Hashem's will to the ultimate extent that it's not a sacrifice. I'm living in, align with, in alignment with the truth. Of course I'm going to be Moshe Nefesh because it's not me giving up my life for Hashem. It's me devoting my life to Hashem at whatever, whatever the cost. And I will never cease to exist. I'm not giving up myself for Hashem. I am simply giving myself to Hashem. And I will always be with Hashem, whichever dimension of reality, wherever I'm expressed. And what was the gift that Yitzchak received for being Moshe Nefesh? The root of That you will never cease to exist. You will always live. You will, not only will you live in the, the infinite spiritual dimension, but you will actually be brought down, back down into this world. It, it's unbelievable. Shofar. Now, Avraham's perspective. Avraham's willingness to go against his intellect. Now, we can we obviously can talk about a case of forever. It's, it's the most boundless topic. But without getting into every step of the process and all the different approaches and every single thing we can learn from here, very simply put, Avraham was ish chesed. He had to do the ultimate act of din, the ultimate act of, of yira, the ultimate act of violence, which went against his nature, number one. Number two, he would have to go against his, his essence, and that would be his legacy, that he was an, an ish yira, which was obviously what the Malach said afterwards, that he showed that he wasn't only a man of chesed, he was able to overcome his nature and also do an act of yira for Agash Baruch but everyone would now know him as someone who did an act of violence. And he was a, he was a Balkirev, he was trying to convince people to love Hashem, that Hashem is the ultimate source of MS and truth, and he's going to go and kill his son? That, that's not exactly the, the greatest inspiring speech. Like, come to this religion where Hashem wants us to kill our children. That doesn't make any sense. It defines reason. Number two, Hashem told him that he's going to have a nation with Yitzchak. And now Hashem tells him to go kill Yitzchak. It doesn't make any sense. Number three, Hashem tells him to do something that makes no sense. As in, forget all the other aspects that make no sense. It doesn't make sense. It is not tov for Avraham to kill Yitzchak. It is not good. And if Avraham believes in Hashem, believes Hashem is tov, Hashem's will is tov, how in the world does Hashem tell him to do something that is ra, that is evil, that makes no sense? Avraham says, what? I don't understand, but there's something beyond my intellectual understanding of HaGosh Baruch Hu. Hashem is the ultimate root. Beyond din. Din, bina, that is intellect, that's reason, that's logic, that's mathematics, that's philosophy, that's science. But I am tracing myself back to the ultimate root, makor, the ultimate source, which is beyond that, and that I'm committing to. Shofar. The case Yitzchak is Shofar. From both ends of Yitzchak and Avraham, it is Shofar. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And what was the ultimate resolution of that? Shofar. The ram. From before creation. The root of creation. Before the manifest expression of reality, that ram was there from before creation. It's literally all there. It's literally like in front of you, the ultimate brilliance of Torah. It's like even, like, like this is unscripted right now because I'm not supposed to be telling you how unbelievable I think this is. Just Torah is amazing. Like Torah is delicious. It is unbelievably amazing. There's like, this is, this itself is shofar. This just like brings you back to the root, makes you just fall in love with Hashem when you see how incredibly beautiful and brilliant Torah is. And the next step is what, what, when do we, I'm sorry for getting a little sidetracked. I just love Torah so much. 
The next stage is what? The next stage is zichronos, which is the concept of tracing ourselves back, which is, well, let's, let's go slowly. Zichronos is connected to a case Yitzchak, right? Especially in Rosh Hashanah, we talk about zichronos. What's the meaning of memory? Because obviously we're going to be connecting all of this from El to Rosh Hashanah, but we're going to talk about El in a few minutes. But the concept of zichronos, the concept of memory is what? Memory is sourcing something back to its root. When you remember something, what are you doing? You're going back to where it happened from, where it came from. You're going back to its root. Hashem is the ultimate concept of Zichron. Because Hashem, when we trace ourselves back to Hashem, the concept of memory, we are rooting ourselves back to our source. And if you want to really think about it, on Zichronos, when we talk about Zichronos in Rosh Hashanah, we're not really talking, in a sense we are, but we're not really talking about Hashem remembering. We're talking about us remembering. We are remembering. We are tracing ourselves back. We are sourcing ourselves back to a Gaj Baruch Hu. And it's like, that's the whole concept of Zecher Amalek. Amalek tries to disconnect us from Hashem. Karcha Baderach, Keri, Kara, happenstance, sexual immorality, Keri, uh, Kar, cold, to cool off the flame of passion excitement. Those are three explanations Rashi gives for Karcha Baderach. Amalek tries to disconnect us from Hashem. What do we do? We say, no, we're going to zecher, we're going to remember Hashem, and we're going to remember and blot out the memory of Amalek. What's the memory of Amalek? Disconnection from Hashem. We're going to blot out that memory. We are not going to source ourselves back to the sourcelessness. We are going to source ourselves back to the actual source, which is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's about remembering, tracing ourselves back to our root. And if you want to take another step, remembering is not only tracing yourself back to the root, but it's about actualizing that root, bringing that root into expression and actualizing that, you know, the concept of root is a seed, the source, the makor, bringing that into reality. Because think about what are your memories? Your memories are actualized potential. Every memory you have is something you did, something you thought, something you created, something you actualized from potential. So the root is the potential. The memory is taking that root and bringing it into reality. That's why the concept of remembering that we have certain things that you're supposed to remember always. You're supposed to always remember them. What's the concept of, of remembering that always? It's bringing that into present consciousness. And the Ramban explains that we don't remember Harsinai. Why? Because you're not supposed to ever forget it. It's never supposed to be something that you have to bring back into consciousness. It's supposed to always be at the forefront of your consciousness. But that concept of going back to root, which is shofar, is that concept of zikron, the concept of memory, that concept of going back to the root and then bringing that root into full expression. And I'll share with you an incredible idea, an incredible idea about the Kosha Kedoshim because the shofar, it takes us back to something unbelievable. It takes us back to a Kodesh Baruch it takes us back to the root, but there's a big question. So the Gemara actually asks, he says, how can we blow shofar, why? What's the problem with blowing shofar? It's a horn. And what does a horn do? A horn, it represents an animal, right? It represents the eagle. Because the eagle is a calf with horns, and when we blow from a horn, we are bringing down that din. We are causing, so to speak, Hashem to remember, or the Satan, to remember. It's like a Tegris and Eger problem, where we're basically like inciting the Satan to say, like, remember, remember the eagle, the worst sin of all time, maybe besides for Chayyim Adam? Like, one of the most famous questions. So, what's the answer? So, the Gemara says something very interesting. It says, it doesn't apply in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Okay, so this problem of blowing a horn, which would theoretically 
incite the satan or bring back bad memories, it doesn't apply in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. But what's what's the problem with that? Well, we're not in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. We're kind of like not in the Kodesh HaKadoshim because we're not. Like, you know, that's a great solution. If the only time Shofar was ever blown was in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, that's not the case. So what's the answer? The answer to the Gemara is that Shofar is like the Kodesh HaKadoshim since it does Zichronos. Okay, whoa, like what in the world does that mean? But I want you to think about it. First of all, what is the Kodesh HaKadoshim? Kodesh HaKadoshim is the point beyond space and time. We've talked about this many, many times, but the world is created with concentric circles. So the rest of the world has the regular laws of physics. Once we get to Israel, the Gemara says that no one ever complained that they didn't have a place. Um, sorry, for Israel, it's, it's, it's um, the Gemara says that Israel is compared to uh, the, the skin of a deer because the skin of a deer, once it's taken off the deer, you're like, how did it ever fit on the deer? And the same thing for Israel, it's like, how does Kalei Israel fit in here so it doesn't make any sense? But it's a miracle. Once you get to Yushalayim, all the regal, all of Kalei would come to Yushalayim every single year for the Shulshogam, for the three main festivals. And the Gemara says that no one ever complained they didn't have a place to stay, which doesn't make any sense because it doesn't make any sense that it could fit everyone, right? And then when it comes to the Azara, get close to the base of Nikosh, get close to the Kodesh Hashem. For the Azara, the Mishnah says that when they would stand up for the in the Azara, it would be really crowded. But when they bow down, then everyone has space. So most of the explanation is that when you you know negate your ego, you become obviously a lot smaller. There's space for everyone. The deeper idea is that when you negate your ego, you become so connected to that 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 spiritual status of the Azara that you defy the laws of space and time. And once you get to the Heichal, then you start to defy the laws of time as well. The Shulchan, the bread would stay fresh for seven days. It kind of defies the laws of physics, laws of time. Once you get to Kodosh HaKadosh, the Gemara says it doesn't make any sense that the, that the Aron would have the same measurements as the whole room. So the Gemara answers that the Aron has no dimensions, no measurements. Because first of all, that doesn't make... You know, first of all, the Aron has to have measurements because the Torah specifies its measurements. Then the Gemara says it doesn't have measurements. What, what does that mean? And the answer is that what? That in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, there are no rules of time and space. Why? Because under the Kodesh HaKadoshim is the Evan Shasiyah. The Evan Shasiyah is where, as Chazal explained, the physical world came into being. The world is expressed through the Evan Shasiyah, emanated from the Evan Shasiyah. The rules of time and space came into being from the Evan Shasiyah. The rules of time and space do not apply where they come into being. And therefore, there are no laws of physics in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, which is why only the Kohen Gadol can go in on Yom Kippur when on Yom Kippur we are all angels, so to speak. That's why we don't eat, we don't drink, we don't have Tash Samita, we don't have relations, we don't engage in physical things because we are angelic beings. That's why we say Baruch Shem out loud, only Malachim can say it out loud, that's why we were all white, because we are angelic beings. The Kohen Gadol represents all of Klai on that day and he is the ultimate angelic being representing all of Klai who are all angelic beings and he goes into the Kodesh HaKadoshim because only angels, only non-physical beings, the Torah says that no man can go into the Kodesh HaKadoshim. On Yom Kippur, the Kohen Gadol is not a man. Kosh HaKadoshim is the root of reality of this physical world. The Evan Shasiyah as well. Why, why, why is this important? Because the shofar takes us back to the root of reality, beyond the laws of time and space. And when we're in that dimension, there's no problem of mentioning that because we're no longer in this world. We have traced ourselves back to root. And I'll tell you something also unbelievable. 
Number two, in addition to that, which is zichronos, zichron is a memory, the concept of because there's zichronos, right? It's, it does zichronos. Shofar is like koshak why? Because it takes us back to our ultimate root beyond time and space. It's, it does zichronos, the kind of tracing back. Tell you something also unbelievable, which I just thought of right now. The way Chazal referred to the Har HaMariah, the, the location of the Akeda of Akeda Yitzchak is by the Evan Shasiyah. It's literally tracing back Shofar, Zichronos, like Kosh HaKadoshim. It's all that same concept of tracing ourselves back to our ultimate root beyond time and space. And what is the Egel? The Egel is not tracing ourselves back to the ultimate root. The Egel was either of Zarmamish or you know, some form of, 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 of a little element of gaiva, of trying to do it even though we weren't commanded. It's not going to the ultimate Ratzon. It's not going to the ultimate source. We've given Shirin about the Chet Hegel and what it really was or wasn't. Uh, famous Machlokas between the Rishonim. But the Egel was a problem of not going back to the ultimate root. And the Kodesh HaKadoshim, Shofar, Zechronos, is going back to the ultimate root. By going back to the ultimate root, we get over the problem of the Egel. Wow. Like, that is unbelievable. By going back to the source, we have overcome the problem of the ego. And these are really the roles of Shofar. Here we have the Zichronos. And really, when we come to Rosh Hashanah, you can really apply all these to to the feel of Rosh Hashanah. The Zichronos for the Akedah and sourcing back to the roots, the Shofar, which wake us up to really commit back to, commit ourselves to Hashem, connect back to Hashem, and Malchios of sourcing everything back to Hashem, recognizing Hashem as our ultimate root. And overcoming din by recognizing Kosh Baruch Hu as the source of din. But now let's come back to our original question. What's the uniqueness of Elul? And we can speak about this for a long time. We're not going to. We're going to wrap up soon. But once we understand that Shofar is about sourcing ourselves back to our root, we understand that Elul needs to somehow connect to this. Elul needs to somehow connect this in a deep way. So the question is, why do we blow Shofar during Elul? So you might not know this, but they're actually different than Hagim. And actually, in Barcelona, there was this minhag to blow shofar from the 25th of Elul. Not from the Rosh Chodesh from 25th of Elul. Why? Because that's when the world was created. Right? The first of Tishrei is when man was created. But the 25th of Elul is when the world was created. Now, obviously, it's Mechlokas, whether it's, you know, the world was created in Tishrei or Nisan, which would mean 25th of Elul, or... 25th of other theoretically but without getting into the complexities because we you know we basically think like Tosos who says that Kosh Baruch willed that made the decision to create the world in Elul and Tishrei and actually created it in Nisan or other Nisan according to what I just said so there is this idea that we blow Shofar which is going back to the root going back to the Russian of creation from the 25th of El, which is when man which is when the world was created so that's one idea but there's another idea, which we Paskin like, that we start 40 days before Yom Kippur. Right? So Rosh Chodesh El. Why? So as far as like this, we're trying to combat Abu Dazar, because what happened? There were 40 days where Moshe went up on Harsene before he came down with the second Luchos on Yom Kippur. And when he came down to Yom Kippur, Hashem forgave us for the Egel. That's why Yom Kippur is the day of Kabara, which... I would say the opposite based on what I mentioned earlier, which is that, no, the reason why I figured out Yom Kippur is because Yom Kippur is the day of Kippara. Not that it became the day of Kippara, that is the root concept of Yom Kippur. Now, what, what, what's, what does that do with Shofar? So the tour actually mentions this, that 
the shofar was blown during those 40 days to ensure that Klai Yisrael didn't commit another Chet Egel. What does that mean? So based on what we said, it's obvious. I mean, what is this, what, what's going on? Shofar connects us back to our root, connects us both back to our ultimate source. Avodazar is not going to the ultimate source. It is betraying the the act of tracing ourselves back to Hakash Baruch Hu and going to the intermediaries, which we've explained plenty of times. We're not going to go over range right now, but the ultimate root of Avodazar is serving yourself, which is not going back to the root, but just going to the intermediaries. Shofar is going back to the root. So the reason why we blew Shofar during those days is to basically ensure that Klai Yishol goes back to the ultimate root and doesn't fall back into another Chedegel. But there's a third answer, which is that it's not because the world was created on the 25th of El, on the 25th of El. It's not because we blew it for 40 days um, to ensure that we didn't do a bazaar back when Moshe went up on Harsina again. But it's that we do it on Rosh Chodesh El because El itself requires the shofar. El itself is a zman, is a month of awakening, of sourcing ourselves back to Gosh Baruch Hu, of connecting to our higher selves, our root selves, is a zman of connecting to Hashem as our makom, of falling in love with Hashem, falling in love with Torah, falling in love with Mitzvah, falling in love with Klai or falling in love with ourselves, connecting to our best selves, becoming the highest versions of ourselves. It is a zman of appreciating the fact that we are alive. Appreciating the fact that we have so much that we can do, so much that we can become. It is, and listen, like the awe of just being alive, the realness of being in this world is unbelievable. And that's what Das is. It's like the heightened awareness of existing, of being, of being alive, of being in touch with yourself, with the with reality, just heightening your awareness and becoming more intelligent, becoming more aware, becoming more active in achieving your greatness. And that's what the chauffeur is about. To wake us up. Back to just that simple idea of waking us up to who we truly are capable of becoming, to who we truly are at root, and to then come back down to this world and to achieve that. To become that. To earn it. And there are so many hints of Elul that... Chazal that the Rishonim pick up on the most classic is Anil Dodividodili that you know I am to my beloved, my beloved is to me, which is the idea of realizing the closeness and connection, love relationship we have with Hashem. I mean, the Ramban says that the relationship between Klai and Hashem is a, is a love relationship, it's a marriage. And just think about it the the way that the Chazal referred to the Ma'an Torah, Har Sinai was the canopy, was the chuppah. We married a Baruch Hu. We're in this world to fall in love with the process and journey of connecting to Hashem, of fulfilling our purpose. And it's a two-way relationship. It's, you know, I move towards Hashem, and Hashem moves towards me. Hashem moves towards me. And one way of understanding it is that once I move towards Hashem, Hashem moves towards me. Like Hashem is my set, my shadow, right? Sail. The famous idea that Shachim talks about Hashem is our shadow. He responds to us, Mida Kenegnida. But there's another idea as well, which is that once I give myself to Hashem, I realize that He was giving Himself to me the whole time. It's not a response, it's a realization. Meaning that 
Only once Anila Dodi, only once I commit myself to Hashem, do I realize Dodi Hashem already, I'm alive, I'm here, everything in my life is a bracha. I have a kosher tov for, I have a kosher tov for everything because everything's a bracha. It's like, once you stop thinking like, what do I deserve? You start realizing what you already have. You start realizing that your whole life is a gift. It's like, it can be fluffy when all you hear is people saying, Hashem loves you, Hashem loves you, Hashem loves you. But He does. He does. And, and the way the Nefshachim talks about it is that Hashem is creating you every instant. And to create you, He's willing and thinking you into existence. Which means that right now Hashem is thinking about you and willing you into being into existence. If you understand what that means, that is unbelievable. To understand that who right now is willing your, your, your entire essence into being. It's like, who are you thinking about right now? How much do you think about other people? How much do you, you know, will goodness into other people's lives? Gashab's doing that for you every instant of your life. And that's not to give you muster. I mean, it is. Like, we should obviously be trying to improve in how we impact and care about other people and give to other people. But just think about how much that means to you in your relationship with Hashem. When you daven, like, you're now just connecting to that will, that ratzon. And you're, you're connecting to yourself. It's like, I'll give you another example of an allusion to Elul. I don't want to get too sad. We're going to close up in a, in a couple of minutes. I don't want to, you know, you, you kind of, you, Torah is infinite. And to give a shear really requires 25 hours at, at the least. For an hour, an hour and a half, you know, the more you go, the, the more breath, the more wisdom, the more you see. And especially as recorded, you can pause it, you can re-listen. I don't want to lose you, but I just want you to see how brilliant Torah is, how amazing it is, and how everything interconnects, how it's just the most ultimate wisdom and, and Torah Torah is not a science it's more than a science it's a science in the sense that there's a system it's mythological it's it's brilliant it's it's systematic it's organized but it's much more than a science it's so much more than a science there's so much more than that can be categorized and interconnected it's the inner it's it's das it's the inner awareness of the awesomeness of Torah and that leads us to our next our next allusion to Elul, which is that which is found by Eslavavchav Eslavav. And then it connects to Zarecha. So the first letter, Eslavavchav Eslavav, spells Elul. And this is referring to what? It's referring to the bris. It's referring to the bris that Kaj Baruch Hu will ultimately circumcise our hearts, our hearts which are currently hearts of stone. They will become hearts of flesh. And we will be able to deeply, not only actively connect with Hashem, but experience it as in we are think about how limited we are how much how much realness how much beauty how much wisdom how much love do you experience in your life we have hearts of stone we don't feel the the love and wisdom and we don't cherish the the uh, cherish the opportunity of life it's the heart of stone which will ultimately become the heart of flesh and that's what Elul is about it's about tapping into that higher awareness the higher experience it's tapping into that love with the Baruch Hu. and it really is that's El but the next word is what? Zarecha your children it's giving that over to the next generation everything that you've become everything you've created and there's a beautiful one in the Svasanas mentions that Elul spells two words Elul spells low and low it spells low Lamed Aleph not and it spells low Lamed Vav to him he finds a beautiful allusion to this in Tehillim, which we actually say in Mizmor Lasoda and Chakras, Hu Asanu Velo Anachnu. So he created us, Velo 
Anachnu. So you can understand that to mean that he created us and Velo Anachnu, we didn't create ourselves. So Akash Baruch Hu, it's like the, there are classic nations in Rishayim in Torah thought that basically said we create ourselves. I'm not going to go into all the details, but you know, Amalek is one of them. Paro says, like, me Hashem, like, who's Hashem? I create myself. Basically, one approach is that Paro said that so the Nile was Paro's God. Either he said that the Nile created him or that he created the Nile, which really means that he created himself because the Nile is his God. We're not going to get into all the details. But the idea is that who was son of Lo'anachnu? You couldn't interpret that to me that Kodesh created us and we didn't create ourselves. We recognize Hashem as our source. But another understanding is who was Sanu? He created us, Velo Anachnu, and we are to Him. Our lives are devoted to Him. We want to connect with Him. We want to love Him. We want to devote everything that we are to the Ratzon HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to fulfilling our purpose, to connecting to our source. What's the beauty? Is that they're interconnected. Once you realize that you didn't create yourself, once you realize that you are here for a reason, someone created you, put you in this world, that you're not the source of your own reality, you can start to realize that it's so beautiful to connect and not only connect to Hashem, but to commit to Hashem. And that's so much of what this Zman is about. It's committing yourself to a higher purpose, to a higher reality. It's saying that you know, as amazing as I am, where did I come from? Why am I here in this world? What's my purpose? What can I do? What can I create? And that's really what Shofar is about. Shofar is about going back to our root. It's about creating a oneness connection, creating a deeper connection, intimate connection with Hashem. It's it's a zman. The whole month of El is a zman of awakening. It's not just a preparation for Hashanah. It's that too. But you have to identify El as a unique zman of Shofar a unique zman of awakening, a unique zman of tshuva, of going back to our root, of going back to Hashem. And there's so much more that we could talk about. We could talk more about how Hashem is our makom and the connection between your mikla and Elul, which we've mentioned in the past. Maybe we'll give a share on that in the future. And then there's a lot more we can talk about. But the reason why there's 40 days from Elul to Yom Kippur is this the, the idea of we are forming ourselves, reforming ourselves, recreating ourselves, tapping back to our ultimate root, you know, our, our fetal fluids, our, our fetal selves, our ultimate root, and we're coming out of that mikvah reborn. You know, Yom Kippur, we, we experience our angelic selves, the result of these 40 days, 40 days of formation. And my bracha to all of us is that we should take full advantage of this owl, and we should create a concrete, empowering vision for ourselves. Think about the ultimate year you can have. I would say start with thinking about the ultimate life you can have and think about what this year, the ultimate version of this year that would head you towards that ultimate life of what you can accomplish. Dream big and believe in yourself. Believe that you can do it. So much of teshuva uh, about creating amazing goals for yourselves, about creating the ultimate version of yourselves is believing you can achieve the extraordinary that you may not have been able to do until now, but that doesn't mean that you can't change. And remember, it's not about changing, it's not about growing, it's about becoming you. You're not changing, you're actually just becoming more in tune with who you really are. And when you realize that tshuva is about self-discovery, it's not, it's not self-criticism. It shouldn't be a negative experience, it should be the most inspiring experience. There is a level of awe, there's a level of seriousness, but when you're inspired by that, when you're inspired by growth, when you fall in love with learning, when you fall in love with growing, then tshuva becomes a life's journey. 
And it is. And it becomes the most enjoyable life's journey. So my bracha is that we should use this Elul to turn our entire life into a continuous journey of growth and self-development, of awe-inspiring awareness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of tracing ourselves back to our root, and we should listen to the shofar and be inspired to truly awaken, not only to awaken practically, and so like, you know, oh my gosh, like, Elul's coming, Rosh Hashanah's coming, Yom Kippur's coming, but to be woken up deep in our root, in our internal selves, and to be inspired to take the ultimate journey back to our ultimate self, our ultimate root, HaKadosh Baruch Hu.